Hey, everyone, and welcome to Autism Conversations, a podcast by the Autism Programs at the University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability. I am Laurieann King, and I am so happy to be here as your facilitator for today's podcast titled Expectations of a Parent, Fathers Navigating the Autism Journey. Today, we are so lucky to have this incredible group of autism fathers join us, each of them with their own unique story woven with love, hope, and advocacy. Fatherhood and autism is a unique journey, and we are so grateful to each of you for being with us today. If you can please help me welcome, we have Joel Davis, Cody Haver, and Jerson Varela. And thank you so much for being here today. And um, we're just we're just honored to to have you. And what an important conversation! And if you all would go ahead and just introduce yourselves for us today, I think that would be a good place for us to start. Joel, would Hi, you get uh, us Joel started? Davis, uh, I'm odd. Yeah, uh, can you hear me? Uh, Joel Davis, I'm a I have a I'm a parent of a 14 year old daughter on the spectrum. I have a 12 year old as well. Uh, and I'm chairman of the Developmental Disability Council and vice president of Elevate the Spectrum. Uh, married to my lovely wife, wife Lisa, and uh, you know we're we've been on this path for about well 14 years, I guess, going down uh, the road with a child with autism and trying to navigate the system and help her, um, you know, succeed in life as best she can. Thank you so much, Joel. It's wonderful to have you here today. Thank you. Jerson or Cody? And my name is Jerson Varela. I have two boys. I have an eight-year-old and an almost four-year-old. My youngest boy, is uh, who's been diagnosed with autism for about two years now, um, just been in this journey. It's been, you know, a lot of ups and downs, mostly ups. Um, it's been difficult um, during COVID, trying to get diagnosis. Um, but it's been a, an overall great experience. You know, we have learned a lot um, throughout the journey, so it's it's been very great. Um, yeah, leave it for Cody. Awesome. Thank you for thank sharing your morning with us. Cody. Yes, thank you. Good morning. My name is Cody Haver, and I'm the parent of two boys. I have a 7-year-old and a 10-year-old. My 10-year-old is on the spectrum. He was diagnosed um, just about two years ago with uh, level one autism. He's uh, pretty high functioning, and it's been an interesting journey as well. I think COVID was the biggest hurdle that we had to get through, and I agree with, um, with my friend who just talked. We had to look all over the states in uh, across the country to try to find a place to get a diagnosis because of COVID and all of the things that it caused with healthcare. And um, I'm married with uh, my wife, Anna. We've been married for 15 years and we have uh, just really learned a lot about autism and all the other different abilities that there are out there. And uh, I'm excited to hear from my friends today and, and share what I know. Well, thank you so much, Cody, and and thank you all for being here today. And and just from what you've already shared, that you know, just from the beginning of of the diagnosis um, and trying to access uh, places to even get evaluated in that whole process, um, and it actually is a great place for us to start with our questions today. Um, the first question would be, how did you cope? after your child received the autism diagnosis and you feel free to jump in whenever um but how did you cope after your child received the autism diagnosis this is cody get... um oh, and i don't mind i, I don't mind starting <laughs> I'll, jump in. I'll, I'll go very quickly joel um because our our coping was interesting I'll go for it. we had we had been waiting for quite a while to get a diagnosis and once we got the diagnosis we thought okay great we've got the diagnosis now it'll open the doors to start getting all of the services that we need and hopefully you know to get an iep at 
at school where he goes to school and we came back to our home with the diagnosis um, and realized that all the obstacles were just beginning. Um, trying to work through insurance, trying to work with the school. Um, although we had a, a diagnosis from Johns Hopkins University um, for my son from the East Coast, we thought, wow, you know, this this is a solid diagnosis. We came back to the school who said, we will not begin an IEP until we do a full evaluation through the district. And we thought, well, isn't that crazy? Like, who who here in the district is more of an expert on this than, than the autism physician that we just met at Johns Hopkins University? But yet, here we had to go through a whole round of hoops through the schools and insurance to get services covered. And that honestly became more of a coping issue for myself than the diagnosis itself. Um, so <clears throat> that's kind of kind of our journey on the beginning of how we coped. Um, but I'll let the other dads speak now. Thanks, Cody. Uh, you know, we had a struggle too. Um, we kind of we started noticing issues when she was young at about nine months uh, started. She just stopped talking and decided she was going to start walking, except for her head would go and her body wouldn't move. Um, and we didn't hear a peep out of her as far as words or thing goes until she was about one and a half, which was about when she started walking. Um, we'd started taking her to a, um, it was a kinder care type place uh, where they did, you know, so she could hang out with kids her age. My wife could get a break. I could get a break. Uh, we had had a lot of behaviors growing up at, or with her early on. Um, so we didn't have a lot of, um, I guess, energy and time. Uh, we were, it, it took 24 seven care to deal with the behaviors and make sure she was comfortable and safe. And, you know, we kind of had to take fire watch, uh, you know, take turns sleeping or not sleeping because somebody had to always be up um, to deal with some of those things. And so we kind of, we kind of, kind of fell into it with the kinder care folks telling us, okay, she's losing, she's not, she doesn't have enough words. Um, she has these other, you know, indicators that, you know, she's not thriving, speech delay. Um, they helped us get into the FIT program. The FIT program helped us get speech therapy, helped us get OT, um, physical therapy. Um, but then, you know, there was like a two-year wait list to get. Um, and then we got in, you know, we got on the wait list at UNMCDD. Uh, we ended up getting in there when she was about three. Uh, we went through an evaluation process where, you know, they said she didn't have good enough icon or wait, you know, a, a little while longer. Uh, we started getting her therapy and having to pay for it out of pocket because we didn't have a diagnosis. And that was about, I think it was about 40,000 a year out of pocket. We both had to quit working. My wife stopped working. I went to part, part time uh, with a job that, you know, luckily I, you know, I can do okay with part time, but we went from two full incomes to, you know, half an income and, uh, and a child with a lot of behaviors. Our parents were kind of out of the loop because of illnesses. Um, it was just a difficult time. And then finally we took that evaluation to another place. We got on their wait list. There was a cancellation. We finally got in. Uh, and then, you know, they looked at that evaluation and did another uh, cursory evaluation. And, you know, they said she had autism and, you know, it was like it opened the doors to us because we got, you know, some hope. We got insurance coverage for one, which was a big deal. Um, because it was just so expensive to go, you know, the, the bills out of pocket, if you don't have insurance or, you know, 30 to $50,000 a year, just for the regular recommended therapies. So, um, you know, that was a struggle and it, it gave us some hope, but coping with it, uh, it took some time. We didn't want to accept it at first, you know, she's okay. She's just a late bloomer. The doctors didn't, you know, that's what they kind of told us, you know, but as you go on, you kind of realize that, you know, she's falling further and further behind with academics and other issues, but then, also, you got to kind of cope with it because it wasn't something you're, you're expecting when you have a, you know, a family um, to take over your life the way it did. And, and it did. And it impacted us a lot. And, you know, now we're thankful we've, we've learned a lot from her and going through this process, all that she brings to our lives. But yeah, it was a difficult time. You know, the best way that I actually cope with it was actually working. Um, I just started to work seven days a week for like four months, 10 hour days. 
I just kind of didn't want to think about it. After we have heard um, the first diagnosis of my boy, we went through a psychologist and she actually made it sound a lot worse than what my boy is actually. Um, she said that he wasn't going to have fine motor skills, um, that he would never speak, um, that his temperament wouldn't be great. Um, overall, I guess the psychologist didn't really, I believe, didn't really do a good test because um, my boy would start doing whatever test she would bring out. And as soon as he couldn't do it, the psychologist would just stop, take everything away and say, okay, he can't do that, you know. So the first report that we ended up getting was pretty bad. Um, overall score, you know, kind of like severe autism. Um, and after that, um, I just kind of started to isolate myself. You know, I really didn't talk to my mom, my parents about the problems. You know, I just kind of started working. Um, I was like, man, you know, therapies are expensive. Um, that's kind of always what revolves around people's mind, you know, try and get your, your son as much help as you can. Uh, but kind of touching what Joel said is it, it can get expensive, you know, insurances, we, we had to go through insurance. So it was a lot, you know, and the best way that I could really cope was just working and kind of getting my mind off of the problems and kind of just trying to avoid everything. And I, I'll be honest, probably for the first four months, I let my wife take care of everything. I just kind of was never home, you know, um, feel bad for it now. I'm more involved now, but it was kind of the best way that I could just keep my mind out of the problems. Um, we ended up actually ended up going through UNM um, after probably a year after his first uh, diagnosis. And we ended up getting a much more better overall um, test on him. He is nonverbal, um, but, you know, he's on the high functioning. And so right now it's kind of, yeah, he doesn't talk. He says four words at most, you know, for a four-year-old boy. His vocabulary has grown, but he just can't put sentences, you know. But you end up growing. Um, we ended up learning a little bit of sign language. Um, so we ended up kind of finding other ways to communicate, you know, and how to help him express himself. He ended up getting all the therapies he needed. And myself, I am more included now. I did end up having family members get a little bit more involved. Um, so that kind of ended up helping a little bit more with the coping, you know. And at the end, it's just became what it is now. He expresses himself. He can communicate one way or another. Um, and I guess it's just getting your family involved and don't kind of isolate yourself, kind of like what I did. Um, get help, you know, seek therapy, um, just anything, you know, and, and, and be there. You know, my wife uh, works for... Um, an early development and it's called new vistas and she always sees parents that as soon as their child is diagnosed with autism that the parents the marriage starts to have issues you know and I always told my wife we were here before our boys you know we were married um, let's not let uh, our boys um, diagnosis affect our marriage you know let's try and support each other and navigate the journey Wow. If I may, I, I kind of got off track because I got emotional, but um, I guess coping to more directly answer the question is, you know, we reached out to groups. We looked for autism groups once we got the diagnosis and that helped a ton. Um, went to the New Mexico Autism Society, started going to events, started being around families that, you know, were, were dealing with similar issues or, you know, living with autism. And um, that was a huge uh, relief to us because you know when you go to the zoo and you're carrying a kid out because they're having a meltdown kicking and screaming over your over over their, your back so they don't you know jump in the duck pond or you know you don't know how to deal with things at the time uh you find out that it's kind of a regular occurrence with folks uh there's different things that happen that you know at first you feel like you're broken and you know you feel like you you did something where you know it's kind of your fault and then you get to be part of the community and see how people you know cope and react and, and love their children and their families. And that was a huge impact on us too. That helped a ton. We kind of got cocooned in really after, after, you know, just with all the behaviors and stuff, we had sick parents. So they were kind of like dealing with their own thing. Our friends kind of peeled off, you know, because we weren't around as much trying to deal with the 24 the seven job we had all of a sudden. 
that uh you know that was a big relief to us to, to seek help from other individuals in the same situation oh my goodness joel and jerson and cody thank you so much for for sharing your story today um your stories I'm just thinking of the people listening and you know that there's there are dads out there that are listening to this or parents and just how powerful it is to hear someone, you know, share their story and it resonates with you and you guys are being vulnerable and really um, what I'm, I'm so moved and touched and grateful right now. Um, Jerson, you you mentioned at the end um, of your sharing that that you, you know, you realized that you needed, you really needed to, um, at some point, reach out to your community. And I, this is a question for all of you. What ways have your friends and family supported you during your journey? And are there things that they could have done differently? And whoever would want to jump in? So I guess the way that my parents ended up showing a little bit of support um, in the state of New Mexico, there is a autism plate. So me and my wife kind of just found it by chance, you know. Um, and so we got the autism plates for our vehicles. Um, and then my mom, you know, did the same. My brother did the same. So it was just the little things that, you know, they sh they're there to show support, you know. Um, my parents tried to learn a little bit of sign language, you know. They, they were... Um, very involved. We just taught him the basics, you know, please, water, more, um, stop, you know, jump. Any little activity that my boy liked to do, they kind of learned um, the sign language that he was using um, to to communicate with them. So I thought that was that was pretty great. Um, they actually participated. So um, it was this was during COVID. So a lot of the therapists were going to our home. Um, my parents were very involved. They 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 wanted to be there in those therapies too, you know. Um, they wanted us to share um, how to calm down my boy, you know. Um, so they were they were, they got really really involved in all the therapies and the sign language, and just an overall um, general support towards us, you know, um, helping us uh, for babysitting. So me and my wife could go out, you know, and just try and enjoy ourselves, just the two of us, you know. So they they really helped us a lot. Uh, well, I think for us, uh, first, you know, none of us really understood what it meant. So we, my wife and I are, you know, big readers. So we, we were looking into stuff. The, the diagnosis gave us some answers, which was super helpful. Um, but my mom kind of was first. She, uh, we took the more than words class at the CDD, UNMCDD, and that was a huge, uh, a huge thing because it was a you know it was an eight week class. She worked two jobs at the time, and for her to take the time to do that was a big deal. Um, we lost a lot of friends in that, or you, you kind of find out who your friends are, I should say, in that kind of period of time. Because you can't go to parties, you can't go to stuff. It's hard to get babysitters. I don't think we've had, you know, we haven't had a vacation where it's just us for more than two days, probably for teenagers. So it's not always easy to get help. Um, now, you know, after going through a lot of time, my brother-in-law helps out here and there. And, you know, we get some help from my cousin-in-law. They'll babysit here and there. Um, my mom was her best bud and uh i stayed every weekend until she got sick and you know she passed recently so, so we lost that uh, part of our life in july but you know mostly eventually it was you know you found out who your real friends are they they either accommodated you by coming over instead of making you come over you know come to lunch when you can come to lunch or when you had any help um, you know, some people would bring us food by, some people would uh, just call to check on us to say they're thinking of us, which was huge. Um, 
I had one friend I played video games with for 10 years. That's how, that's how it started. That's how we got by. He helped me by giving me a social life when I couldn't go do anything. And I'm kind of the social butterfly. So that was great. And give a shout out to Gerson for getting the autism license plates. Those are a big deal. We worked on that. So That's awesome, Joel. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You know, I'm kind of touching what Joel said, that you see who's really there for you. Um, some of my family members, I'm, I don't want to say they were more ignorant. I guess they just don't know um, what autism really is. But they were like, oh, man, your boy is never going to be anything. You know, they, they started, they're like, oh, is he? And they use the R word. You know, they're like, oh, he's just he's he's not going to be anything. He's going to be leaving with you forever. So sometimes just kind of cutting in loose ends, you know, and you don't need that negativity either. Um, some people walk away because your life does change. You know, when you get that autism. Um, and some family members stay, some family members go away, you know, and it really does show who's there to support you. Um, kind of like what Joe said. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'll jump in. And um, this is Cody. I, I hear a lot of what both, both Joel and Jerson are saying. And um, I'm sure our, my, my journey has been a lot different than both of theirs, but a lot of similar things, um, <clears throat> you know, to start out with, both Joel and Jerson were, were speaking about how, you know, they had, you know, they worked a lot during that time. And, uh, you know, when they were first finding out about the diagnosis and first starting to find therapies, um, I think as a dad, you feel very strongly that you, that you are responsible for your family. And I think it's just built into dads that, you know, we think we need to work. We have to work more, make more income for the family. Um, but sometimes that can kind of be our downfall too, is that we feel so strongly that we need to work that it's hard for us to stay involved in the, the family tasks and needs. And so I think one of the things that's kind of interesting about family and friends is, you know, as you grow up in life, you, you end up with family and friends, but you don't always get to choose who those family and friends are. They just somehow became a part of your life along the way. And then when something like this comes up, right, your child is diagnosed with autism or your child is having a lot of behavior issues and it makes it difficult to be at family functions or friend functions. You do very quickly find out who's willing to support you and who's not interested in supporting you. Um, I think one of the things for our family is that, you know, our, our, our family loves us very much and loves our kids, but our family is also very busy. Most of our family members are very busy in their own lives, doing their own things. And um, we did not have a lot of support. Um, you know, my wife and I talk about that it takes a village to raise a child. And that's definitely true in this case. And um we had some support here and there, but not a lot. We feel like we've been on this journey of parenting alone a lot of times, very isolated. Um, one of the things that I kind of wish that some of our family and friends might have thought more about was just asking, hey, what, what can we do to help? What can we do to support? Is there, just, is there anything that we can do to help and, and let us know what that is? Um, one of the things that I think would have been helpful is if more of our friends and family had gotten involved at some point when we were doing therapies or early intervention for our son, they could have learned a little bit more about about it. And maybe they would have felt more comfortable to maybe watch him for a, a day here or a day there for us to have some time to, to reset and regroup. Um One of the things that I think my wife and I have found, and maybe Joel and Jerson too, is that it's really hard to be there for your kids when your cup is empty, when you're exhausted and you haven't had time to just recruit, you know, re regroup, reset. And then you have to walk right in, step right in and, and deal with all the things that are going on with your kids. It makes it really difficult. And I think that's where family and friends can really step in a lot. Just an hour here, an hour there. 
just ask those parents, what can I do to help you? Or what could I do for an hour or two? Um, just that giving of their time would go a long way. I think, uh, I don't know if you, if you guys agree, Joel and Jerson. Oh, 100%. Totally, man. I, yeah. I think, uh, for us, even it's just, can you meet my kid at the bus stop or can you <laughs> sit here so I can run to get a haircut? Uh, still have those issues sometimes because, uh, you know, we're so busy, but, um, every little thing helps. And then sometimes just people asking you if you want help is a, or need help is a, is enough to give you a little boost because yeah, like you said, when you have an empty cup, it's hard to, it's hard to be there for people. And uh, sometimes the, you know, some of the downsides of it can take over. I mean, there's a lot of joy and upsides to it. So don't get me wrong about this, but the, the initial diagnosis that we're talking about and all that initial uh, kind of coping and, and whatnot was, you know, it's fairly traumatic to, you know, you have a kid and they're full of energy and this bouncing baby joy, a bundle of joy. And someone tries to tell you that someone tells you in scientific terms that they're probably going to have a very difficult time in life and they're probably going to need help their whole life. Um, it's kind of hard to accept that you've brought something into the world to have to deal with those struggles. So. Uh, 100%. I agree with you, Cody. Yeah, I agree with Cody. You know, um, just get your family involved. Uh, an hour or two a day really goes a long way. You know, let's, uh, my mom usually goes, um, once we get home around five or six o'clock, she'll take both of my boys, you know, for an hour or two just to her house, you know, just to see them, let them play. Let's me and the wife, you know, cook dinner, you know, just kind of decompress after a long day at work you know so an hour or two a day really does help um as much as you know i like to think no we got it under control you know um just kind of living under the stress and everything um but it, it ends up helping you know and you know building a routine you know once you start to get into a routine um we got my boy kind of like in a routine you know and and, and it it becomes a lot easier um and and aspects of it he knows what's going to happen throughout the day. You know, he knows that he needs to wake up early in the morning. Usually we wake him up at seven lately. He's been getting up at six twenty. you know, so he's on a personal alarm clock right now. Um, but just establishing that routine um, does go a long way. Um, that way he can expect uh, what's going to happen throughout the day, you know? And uh, so it's just any little help building a routine goes a long way. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, you all, that it's just, it's so powerful hearing you share and just the, I'm, I'm moved. I'm, I'm, uh, you're making me tear up. Um, but just the power of, of someone supporting the family, even in the smallest way and how far that goes and about, you know, having a cup <laughs> that needs to be filled. Um, and, um, and, and that it really, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's not these big, huge necessarily gestures, but even the small things that, that really go far and how important that connection is. Um, thank you all. And, and the next question for you today is how do you, how do you manage your expectations for your child? I don't know how um, how to explain it, but I guess I just started to focus on really trying to educate my boy as I did my oldest. I know my youngest has an autism diagnosis. Um, I try to be equal among both, you know, on, as informed as in expectations, you know, trying to keep the room clean, picking up after themselves. Um, you know, I'll give him, you know, uh, he has an iPad. If he does something, you know, bad, either yeah, mom, try and hit her. Cause sometimes that's the way he expresses himself. You know, I'll definitely put him, you know, time out. Um, I just try and be equal among both, you know, am I sometimes a little bit easier on my youngest? Yeah. You know, sometimes I do let more things slide. Um, but in my mind, I try and just keep the same expectations overall across the board, you know, 
I'm just that way they can't say, oh, my oldest can't say, you know, you're more lenient on 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 my sibling. Why does why can't he do this? Why can't he do that? I just try and keep it the same, you know, avoid conflict between the brothers. Um, I don't know how uh, Cody and Joel um, kind of like to roll, uh, but that's kind of what I like to do at my house. <laughs> uh, well, you go from, I think with us, we're both educated or highly educated, and I'm not saying other people aren't. It's just, uh, you know, we had all these expectations. Um, we had a kid, they're going to, you know, we already had her schools picked out. We had her colleges she was going to look at and all these things. And, you know, we had to go back down to the, just the basics. And it was a big eye-opening, you know, grounding uh, moment for us to, you know, the point to where we're just happy for the little things at this point. Um, she's come so far. She's fought so hard um, to get where she is now that, you know, every everything that she does now that is an improvement or new and exciting is just uh, is such a blessing. Um, before you're like, oh my God, she's not speaking. Is she going to speak? And, you know, all this stuff to, you know, to today she told me what she did in class today. You know, that was a huge deal. You know, um, we have a kid still that she can talk, but she can't necessarily relay what happened during the day. So at school, that's a big deal. Um, knowing what really happened at school is a big deal. We do a lot of special education advocacy for that reason. We have a kid like like uh, Jerson, you know, my son, he's, he's 12. He's on the other end of the academic spectrum where he's in the higher percentiles of academics and um, we have to send him to another school so he gets what he needs. Um, but we also have to be consistent with both of them with discipline. If, you know, one doesn't, not discipline necessarily, but you know, we use positive behavioral supports of course in our house, but we also have to be consistent with how we, you know, handle things. And, you know, especially with my son, he's the younger. Um, we, we do a lot, we put a lot of effort into making sure he gets some attention too, because he doesn't, you know, my daughter, she had therapy every day for, you know, well, except for weekends, you know, doing ABA therapy five days a week for, I guess, 10 years until we, we finally graduated out basically last winter. Um, so she was getting really detailed attention, you know, two hours a, a day every after school every day, and he wasn't getting anything. So we had to really work to find him things to do and fulfill his interests and I don't know, the expectations are completely different now than when we started. Um, learning how to accept things was a big deal for us. Um, super ambitious and motivated for certain things. And, you know, you quit comparing your kid to other kids. That was a big thing, which I think was the biggest thing that we let go. Um, you know, uh, it's just, a, it's, it's a totally different life-changing dynamic. And, and now we have this daughter that thinks so differently that she makes us think differently that, you know, she'll, we, we kind of almost think she's clairvoyant. She'll say things and then they happen. It's kind of, it's crazy <laughs> what she observes. She knows everything that's going on in the room. How she communicates it though, is just completely different. We've had to manage our expectations that way. We also did some DNA testing and there's a DNA marker that kind of, uh, I guess they associate with autism, ID, epilepsy. And once we kind of found that out, um, it helped us manage our expectations even more and get you know, more and better directed services and things like that. So, Lorianne, we know what that's like, and it's not easy. And I don't know. I expect it was just a it was just a life changing kind of situation. Wow. Yeah, I am. Um, what about you, Cody? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got I've got kind of an interesting perspective too, and uh, some of the same things that both of you guys have said. Um, so honestly, one of the reasons why I wanted to be on this podcast um, is because so my my son is very high functioning, and that's actually been one of the hardest parts about the diagnosis for him. And and I think uh, on expectations, what I wanted to really talk about is how much ABA therapy helped us. So um, my son he started showing symptoms of sensory processing disorder when he was like nine months old. And at his first, uh, you know, his one year check-in with the pediatrician, uh, we were 
referred for early intervention services like occupational therapy, speech therapy, those types of things. And so we started that when he was one year old. And um, very quickly, we had all of the therapists, speech therapy, occupational therapy, uh, physical therapy. And um, he's, in the beginning, he was delayed in his gross motor skills. And that's kind of what started this whole thing. And um, he was in earlier intervention for two years. And as he reached that three-year mark, right, as he was getting ready to graduate out, that's when he really started showing the behavior symptoms, you know, very, very aggressive behavior, um, very, you know, zero to a hundred type of anger and aggression and things like that out of a three-year-old, almost three and a half. And for us and in, for expectations at that time, we actually began getting family counseling with early intervention and, um, you know, the counselor was, was just working very closely with us on things that they would typically do with, uh, with a child as far as just setting very clear expectations, very clear language, you know, giving immediate consequences for bad behavior, but, you know, that are within that one, you know, one minute, two minute kind of time frame for that age. And when you reach that three and a half year mark, the counselor and the other therapist noticed for us, they said, you know, he seems as if maybe he has some symptoms of autism. You, you ought to get that evaluated more. So we did. And that was the beginning of our journey for diagnosis um, for the next four years, basically four and a half years. We kept going to psychologists and different uh, providers trying to get a diagnosis. And every single one of them, including the psychologist that we saw most Cruces said, Yes, most likely he has autism, but I won't, I will not diagnose him because he doesn't meet all of the markers for autism or he doesn't meet enough of them. Um, same thing, kind of thing. He keeps eye contact with me. And so that made it hard for us because we kept thinking, okay, well, he doesn't have autism. So how do we manage all these behaviors, these really, really intense behaviors? And, you know, he was hitting the walls, making holes in the walls, um, throwing things. And it was zero to a hundred. It never made sense. It, it never seemed like there was a specific reason why it was like he was overwhelmed by things. And the more energy we put into it, you know, trying to help him, the worse it got. So we didn't know how to manage his daily tasks, daily routines, cleaning room, those types of things. Once we got his diagnosis when he was eight years old and we began ABA therapy, man, the ABA therapy team kicked into high gear right away, getting right back to the basics using visuals, even though he's very high functioning and he has verbal skills, he has all those things. His executive functioning is, is very tough. Sometimes he, he gets overwhelmed by any task. If you give him more than two instructions, say, you know, and he's 10 years old now, go brush your teeth, make your bed, and then get your backpack ready for tomorrow. Those three things are so overwhelming for him that that will kick him into a, you know, a meltdown type of a situation. So the ABA team helped us to really understand how to break all the tasks down into basic levels. So we put a visual schedule, uh, or I mean, a, a visual um, board by his sink on every step to brush his teeth. There's one in the shower for every step to wash himself. Um, there's three or four in his room for every step he needs to do to get ready for the next day or get ready for bedtime routine. And I, I guess I really wanted to say that ABA really helped us so much with that. And I'm not, I've heard mixed results from people about ABA therapy. And I think one of the things that was um, an eye opener for my wife and I is how intense that therapy is when they come into your house every day for several hours a day. It is really overwhelming. And as a parent, you need to be involved in that therapy. Um, so now having a fifth grader with autism, high functioning with verbal skills and everything, but that's getting ready to go into middle school. He's becoming very overwhelmed again about hygiene routines and social situations, um, those types of things. And so we have to, every time he starts to get overwhelmed, we have to stop and break it down again into very small tasks for him of how he's going to get over, how he's going to get to the goal of overcoming this obstacle. Um, so that's kind of, kind of our story on how we manage expectations now versus when he was little before his diagnosis.
Wow. Uh, Joel, Gerson, and Cody, I I just have so much admiration for, for you. And I just hear so much strength in your stories and resilience. And it's awesome because you're sharing not just the, you know, the, the challenges, but also the, those moments that are, are so beautiful as well and unique in, in parenting um, a, a child with autism. And um, I'm, I'm just grateful that you're here with us today. And I know that there are um, likely fathers all over, not just all over the state, but I know that this podcast reaches to different parts of the world. Um, do you have any advice that you, just as our kind of ending thought that you would like to share with other dads, other fathers? Enjoy every moment, you know, um, any little milestone is great. And don't compare your child to another child. You know, um, at the beginning, I tended to do that. I was like, oh, look, that, that, you know, that boy over there is two years old and he can talk, you know, or, you know, um, like I have family in Mexico and be like, oh, wow, look, he, he's he's younger than my boy and he can talk. Um, but at the same time, my youngest boys here, they're learning English and Spanish, you know, so he's dealing with a little bit more. Um, with a little bit more than one just one language um, it does get better um, you know I wouldn't trade anything in the world um, if I could pick you know everything that has happened in my life I would just keep it the way it's been you know it's been a great journey I've learned a lot enjoying every little moment you know my youngest only called me dad um, for about a year now um, at the beginning, he used to call me mom because I was the only word he could say. So he had, I guess, he would call his mom mom, and then he would come up to me and call me mom too. <laughs> um, but now he he about a year he started to call me dad, and actually about two weeks ago he started to call me papi, um, just kind of out of the blue, you know. So just enjoy every moment. Um, it it does get better, you know, and don't think the worst. Because at the beginning, I thought of the worst. I was like, oh, man, when I got his autism diagnosis, I was like, he's going to live with me forever. Um, he's not going to have a social life. You know, I, society is cruel, you know. And I was like, it, I got overwhelmed. Um, but now the way that I see him, I'm like, yeah, you know, he'll grow up and, and be a good adult, you know, and contribute to society in his own way. You know, I don't see him. I, I see him very independent now, you know, um, early in the morning, he sneaks up into the pantry and starts, you know, raining it. Yeah. He'll get chips, cookies, whatever he can get a hold of. So it, it gets better, you know, it, it really does. That's awesome, Jerson. This is Cody. Um, <clears throat> I think some of the advice that I would pass on, and these are just in interesting little things that I've learned along the way. Um, and some of them have helped a lot and some of them I wish I would have known earlier on. It just took a while to meet the right person to give me the right advice. Um, trust your gut instinct about your child. You know, as a parent, you know your child better than anybody else. And when when my kiddo was younger, we had a lot of family and friends that would tell us things like, oh, you know, you you guys are just too lenient. You need to you need to discipline them like discipline him like we did in our time and use spankings or use more timeouts or things like that. Or, you know, you guys are doing something wrong. You're, you're not doing something correct. We heard a lot of things like that. And every day we lived with our kid day in, day out, 24 hours a day. And we just knew like, there's just something missing. There's something we're not getting here. And we've tried every trick in the book. We've read all, you know, all the parenting books that our parents and friends have told us to read. We've tried this. We, I mean, we went to the extent of trying a gluten-free diet, um, a sugar-free diet, you know, all these things. And there's little bits of that that can help some along the way. But it, what I learned is that it doesn't fix the autism diagnosis. It doesn't change that. And I think for a long time, we as, we as parents, my wife and I, we knew there was something missing. And we had a, you know, a suspicion that maybe he had autism but we just kept letting other people influence our decisions. 
So I would say be true to yourself. And once you, once you start realizing there's something you need to find for your child, just you are your child's advocate. You don't let anybody get in your way, whether it's a doctor, a pediatrician, a therapist, if they don't, if they're not willing to work with you, go to the next one and then go to the next one until you find somebody that's willing to just listen to you. Um, And the same thing with the schools. We actually had a very, very difficult time this last couple of years trying to get an IEP for my son again, even with his diagnosis. And um, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, it's a difficult situation, but I've heard it over and over again from, uh, from therapists all over the state that we've worked with now that New Mexico schools are very difficult for special education and especially for, um, for kids like mine that don't meet every single symptom of a diagnosis. Um, the school systems will try anything and everything they can to not have to support your child through an IEP. And um, they'll be pushy. They'll try to get you to think that, you know, um, you can make it another year without an IEP. Um, there are, there's a lot of advocates in New Mexico, though, that specialize in special education. There's attorneys, um, there's social workers that specialize in special education, disabilities, or, you know, and autism. And I would definitely reach out to those advocates and have them help you get on your side uh, to get an IEP done at school and get it the way that you want it. Because, again, they'll try to make it as general as they can. But, again, you know your child best. So you just keep pushing and pushing and don't let anybody get in your way. Um, And finally, I would say, just like uh, Joel and Jerson were saying, um, don't be afraid to get your own counseling and therapy early on. Um, you, and, and you may need it for years. It Sometimes just getting to vent to somebody outside of your home can mean the difference in your day, trying to understand and cope with like what you need to do next, right? Help you rebuild that street. So I think those are the big pieces I would pass on. Thank you, Cody. Can I just put quotation marks around what Cody just said? Because that was uh, about as succinct as I think you can get. Um, and Absolutely. Very, very on the point. Uh, I uh, I mean, my, I think our first real rope, I guess I should say, was reaching out to organizations that were, um, that dealt with autism. You know, my wife and I, we reached out for all the information we could get. So I'd suggest doing that. The more you understand, you know, the more you know what you're dealing with, the more you can accept it and, you know, have a plan of action so you can address the situation. So that's kind of what we did. We, you know, we read up, we went to CDD, we did classes, we did everything we could to kind of understand the issue and then reaching out to other groups. So we kind of understood how to, you know, that there was a, a whole nother world out there, a community that was there that embraced us. And, you know, we could go watch, have a sensory movie and our kid could talk the whole time and get up in the middle of it and, you know, uh, run around and it was fine. Uh, that was a big deal. So our kids could still go out in the community and, you know, do the normal community things, but not be, uh, I guess, frowned upon or interrupt uh, what other people are doing. So reaching out to the community was a big deal. Um, I would say participate in advocacy for the autism community and autistics in general. Um, our state's come a long way in the last 10 years, but we've got a long ways to go. Um, as far as services, supports, the schools are a major issue right now. We have that the governor has proposed, uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham has signed an executive order for the Special Ed Act that would help bring resources, more behaviorists, um, other things to special ed that would help address a lot of the issues that Cody mentioned in the schools, we've had a difficult time. I don't know an autism family that hasn't had a difficult time in the schools because there's not enough ABA therapists or you know ECBAs. There's not enough behavioral specialists. That's a huge part of it. Behaviors are communication generally, um, but they don't have the right resources to take care of those kids. So they end up disciplining them, uh, getting suspended and, and other things that you know shouldn't apply when they have a BIP, but you know, we have to address those issues. Being very proactive with the schools is another thing. It's it's a battle. We spent hours and hours and hours in IEPs, uh, behavioral improvement plans, doing FBAs. Um, you know, we've had to move schools because of issues. Uh, it's been hard, and 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 even now we're going through a situation where I think our classroom doesn't have enough 
people in it and it's causing issues for a number of children. And so we're, we're getting ready to go down that path. So um, one thing you can do now to help the special ed situation is call the governor, call your legislators, let them know that you support um, improvements to special education. There's going to be a report coming out from the Legislative Education Study Committee in uh, a couple few weeks that kind of details all the issues. We got them to do a, a listening tour across the state um, to kind of start addressing those issues, to look at budget gaps, um, you know, uh, and things like that. So I'd urge you to to do whatever you can to support that because if our community doesn't come together, we don't have high paid lobbyists like a lot of other communities. We're all parents and volunteers um, and some like-minded organizations that support that, those issues. Um, but you know, those, those folks up there know you vote. And if you, you know, voice your concerns, even a simple phone call or an email can go a long way. I'd ask for you to advocate for your community. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. And Joel, thank you for your advocacy. Thank you. Thank you all for being here this morning. Um, I, I am so honored to be here with you. I am so excited for all those who will listen to this and learn from you. And just to summarize some of your beautiful advice is um, what I heard was, be, you know, trust your instincts, be true to yourself reach out to your community, educate yourself, and enjoy every moment. And how beautiful um, and important is that? Uh, thank you for sharing your, your stories and your time with us this morning. I, I hear, I was writing down words that I was just um, struck by in all of your, your shares and your stories. And I hear advocacy and I hear a lot of love and I also hear a lot of hope. So thank you for, for being here this morning. Um, I wanna thank you for um, join, joining us today at Autism Conversations. And we of course wanna thank you, the listener, for tuning in to this wonderful conversation. If you're interested in hearing more Autism Conversation podcasts, we invite you to check us out on the Autism Programs Portal, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We should be there. If you are in New Mexico and you're seeking autism-based resources and supports, please contact the Autism Family and Provider Resource Team at 505-272-1852. And also, if you are on social media, please visit the UNM Center for Development and Disability Facebook page. Be sure to like our page and follow us. This is Laurieann King, along with the Autism Conversations team. And we hope that you join us next time for another segment of Autism Conversations. Mm -hmm.